Good Night Children Everywhere by Beryl Bainbridge Thomas was eleven years old and had no brothers or sisters, or a father for that matter. This didn't worry him. Except Ringo, his bestest friend, none of the boys in his class had one, and his dad often came home drunk. Thomas's mother had a full-time job as a typist in an estate agent's. Recently, she'd become very anxious because there was a slump in house buying and she feared being made redundant, whatever that was. She'd started smoking again. Mostly Thomas was in the care of Mildred, his grandmother. She was pretty old, bad at climbing stairs and always mislaying her teeth. She also talked a lot about God, who had mostly let her down. When he was seven, and he had asked his mother what this meant, he was ordered to mind his own business. Aged ten, and putting forward the same question, he was told she'd been handed a cruel slice of life that hers had not been a happy journey. After a lot of probing, he learned that his grandfather had been a violent man, and that he had punched his wife so brutally that she'd ended up in hospital bed. Did he punch you too? asked Thomas, feeling hot all over, but mother said he'd gone away for a month before she was born. Often Mildred referred to him as Ginger Tom, which annoyed him, though not deeply, he did have red hair. His mum said that he must never be rude to Mildred, however aggravating, because of the past, which was odd seeing she often told Mildred to shut up. He and mum lived near the bottle factory, on the third floor of a block of flats, which was why Thomas went up to Mildred's house every day after school and stayed there until his mother fetched him. His grandmother's legs were as unreliable as the dicky lift provided by the flats. Sometimes his friend Ringo would ask him to come home with him, but mostly he refused, saying his grandmother needed him. Once Bernadette Mills, who had dyed yellow streaks in her hair, invited him to tea at her house. But Ringo warned him off. Bernadette was into kissing, which was boring unless a puppy was involved. He was happy at school, particularly when taught by Mrs. Vosper, the religious studies teacher, who was always talking about inner voices. Outside of us all, she insisted, is the apparent world, but the inside lies the real truth trying to break through. They should listen. Ringo declared she was potty, and when Thomas told his mother what Mrs. Vosper had said, she shouted it was bloody ridiculous that her hard-earned earnings were being taxed to provide a livelihood for a mad woman. Being mother, she got over it by the morning. The nice thing for Thomas was the amount of old-fashioned stuff which his grandmother Mildred kept stored in the second bedroom. There was a gramophone that would only work if wound up with a handle, a brass samovar that heated water if you lit a candle under it, and an army box containing a steel helmet full of toy soldiers, a dozen gold bullets, and a jack-in-the-box that played a tune when you thumped the button, and Jack shot up. Best of all was the ancient radio. Mildred called it a wireless, encased in mahogany. She'd inherited it from her mother, and said it was broken, something to do with the airwaves not being able to get through any more. She didn't like him talking about it and refused to let him bring it downstairs, not that he could have, it being so heavy. The first time Thomas stuck its plug into the mains, he just heard a crackling sound, like people walking across melting snow. He fiddled with the switches for an hour or more and heard nothing beyond the crackles, and was just about to give up when a voice, very posh, very serious, announced that a man called Ramsay MacDonald had just died. Thomas took in the name on account of it being the same as that of his science teacher, a shy man who struggled to keep order in class. He rode a bike and had a small lump at the side of his right eye, which he constantly touched when the noise got too loud, and he grew flustered. When Thomas went to school the next day, he intended to ask if the dead man was a relation, but Ringo urged him against it in case the bigger lads accused him of trying to become a teacher's pet. 
Mildred didn't believe him when he said the radio worked. And when it's over, he said, a man says, good night, children, everywhere. Mildred was cooking him fish fingers for his tea and shook the pan so hard that the fat spat onto her arm. She said that she was going to get Mr Eccles next door to carry the wireless down to the bins. Fortunately, she forgot about it. After that first time, Thomas listened to the wireless every night while waiting for Mother to collect him. There was always something of interest, though when he repeated any of it to Mildred she seemed confused. For instance, when he told her that somewhere in America a wall had crashed down and that lots of people were throwing themselves out of windows, she looked puzzled. Even more so when he gave her the news that Mr Baldwin had just agreed to build up the Air Force. Mr Baldwin, she repeated. Can't be. You misheard. On the Wednesday, he listened to a broadcast to do with the disappearance on board a ship of a man called Frank Vosper. The name was familiar. During an early morning party on board, in the company of a well-known beauty queen and another guest, Mr Vosper had wandered off to take some air at a window. Despite an intensive search by crew and passengers, as well as the use of a dog belonging to a blind man, he couldn't be found. When the ship docked at Plymouth and the news was broken to his family, his father had a heart attack and died. It was decided not to bury him until his son's body was found. A week later, at morning assembly, the headmaster said that he had some news to impart concerning Mrs Vosper, the religious studies teacher. She would be absent for some days owing to hearing that morning of a tragic incident which last night had resulted in the death of her brother. A minute's silence was requested. Thomas stood very still, head bowed. That evening, when Thomas switched on the wireless, he heard of three other deaths which had taken place that day, followed by an account of what the deceased had done in life. Twice it was a person he'd heard of, a man called James Barry who had written a famous pantomime, and then a John D. Rockefeller who was very rich and had given his money away to the poor. The third death was of a woman who'd been stabbed in Tesco's in full view of other customers. She hadn't done anything in life, at least nothing that needed to be told. Thomas was bothered about Mr. Barry, because when he was little, his grandmother had taken him to see Peter Pan, and he remembered her telling him that Mr. Barry had died before the war. She said it was the same year that Neville Chamberlain had complained of England not spending enough on armaments. When he mentioned Mr. Rockefeller's name to his mother, she remarked that it was a pity he'd gone, because he might have been able to help with the credit crunch. Thomas didn't know what that meant. It sounded like a chocolate bar. When he came home from school the next day, there were police outside the flats. His grandmother was crying. She'd just got back from shopping when she'd seen a neighbour attacked with a knife. She was dead, lying just below a shelf of pork pies. After some thought, Thomas decided to confide in Mr MacDonald. He didn't let on to Ringo and waited until the big boys had gone home. He found the teacher in the bicycle shed, bending down to adjust his trouser clips. My radio, Thomas said is acting funny. In what way? asked Mr MacDonald. Thomas said it crackled a lot. He couldn't think of the words he really wanted. I can't be of much help, Mr MacDonald said, without looking at its interior. Greatly daring, Thomas asked if he could spare the time to come home with him, his grandmother's house being only round the corner. Mr MacDonald said he'd come willingly if he was sure that Thomas's family wouldn't think it an intrusion. He refused to step into the house until Mildred hobbled into the hall and said he was welcome. Mr MacDonald was equally enthusiastic about the old radio. He went so far as to call it a work of art. He remembered his uncle having one almost like it, though not so shiny. When he turned the knob, no voice came on, 
just the crackling. He listened to this and said it could be mended, but it would be expensive to replace the electronic tubes. But it works already, Thomas insisted. This morning it mentioned that this month 1,247 people died in a flu epidemic. Mr. MacDonald stared at him. Then it talked about a man called Oswald Mosley, who was unconscious because he'd had a brick thrown at him in Liverpool. Mosley? questioned Mr. MacDonald. Oswald, said Thomas. He's some kind of agitator. It was about half an hour after Uncle Mac came to say, Good night, children, everywhere. Mr. MacDonald continued to stare. There was a hint of alarm in his eyes. Thinking it was the type of news, the dwelling on death, that was worrying his teacher, Thomas mentioned that a lot of things he listened to were about religion and the love of God. This wasn't the exact truth, although there had been talk a week ago about Christ on the cross and how he had trembled when the nails were banged in. Mr. MacDonald went home soon after. Mildred offered to make him a cup of tea. He refused, on the grounds that he was off to a wrestling class. Why? she asked. Something to take up the time, he replied, stroking the skin beside his eye. At the door, he paused and suggested to Mildred that it might be a good idea to get Thomas's mother to encourage him to read a bit more, rather than fiddle with the radio. Thomas heard him, but wasn't worried. Mildred had a memory like a sieve. The next morning, at school, Mr. MacDonald asked him to come to the staff room in the lunch hour. It meant Thomas had to cancel going to the chip shop with Ringo. I've brought you here, began Mr. MacDonald, because I'm impressed at your interest in history. Your interpretation of the past is far beyond your years. The first and foremost step in all knowledge of mankind is the conviction that a man's conduct, in all essential particulars, is governed not by reason, but by his innate and unalterable character. Thomas smiled. He hadn't understood a word. Wisdom, Mr. MacDonald continued, which is only theoretical and never put into practice, is like a double rose. Its colour and perfume delightful, but... but... Here he hesitated, as if searching his mind. One must realise that history, in its dictionary definition, deals with events only in the past. You understand what I'm saying? Thomas said, of course. He felt sorry for Mr. MacDonald. That night, when he switched on the radio, it was announced that a queen had died, widow of Edward VII. It was said that she had lived amongst vases filled with roses. There followed an alarming account of an explosion to do with faulty gas pipes at a school, causing the death of a teacher and 24 pupils. The next morning, Thomas clutched his stomach and stayed in bed. I'm not well, he wailed, and added, though his mother didn't hear, I want to live. The newspapers published a story to do with the school explosion, mentioning that the dead teacher, a Mr. MacDonald, had been in an agitated state at assembly that day. Several times he had shouted, It's children's hour! Later, Thomas smashed up the radio with a hammer.